You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Roberta Morales, and I currently serve as a leader in the student ministry. Today's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Hey, my name is Mason King. We're going to be in 1 John if you want to meet me there. Uh, When I graduated from seminary, I thought... Treat yourself. So I hunted down a first edition hardback of my favorite C.S. Lewis book. It's called The Great Divorce. Came from a used bookstore on one of the coasts of England, and I I thought I got a deal. I was more than happy to splurge the $7.50 that they wanted for it. Uh, And so I reread that book every year. I've done so for 20 years. If you've never read it, I recommend it. If you haven't read it, it tells of a world where people who live in hell take a day trip to the outskirts of heaven. And each chapter follows a different visitor who is offered light and life. And what we see is the darkness they won't give up in order to go further up and further in. These are the very people John talks about here. Those that say there is no sin in them and call God a liar. Now, sometimes when I study a passage, I like to write my own paraphrase. It helps me kind of think about it and kind of put myself in the text. And as long as you and I can agree that it's closer to the message in the ESV, I'd like to share it with you. Is that okay? All right. Here is John talking to some believers who need courage. This is the message that we have heard from him. He who is from the beginning, that we have heard with our eyes, or heard with our ears, seen with our eyes, and have touched with our hands. He who is eternal life, who is with the Father revealed to us, we want you to hear and believe in him so that we can share this new life with you. This new life we have is with God the Father and his Son, and we're writing so our joy may be complete because joy finds fulfillment when delight is shared. So we tell you that God exists and is different from us. He is light, free of shadow or stain or hiddenness. There is no inconsistency or double-mindedness in God. He is the light. In Him, there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with God while we practice things that belong to the darkness, we deceive ourselves and others with our words. We fail to practice truth in our lives. But if we walk in the light, if we trust Jesus and try to walk as he does, free of shadow or stain or hiddenness, aware of our inconsistency, self-centeredness and need, then we can have fellowship with God and one another in Christ. 
God knows we have sin and commit sin, which is why we can only depend upon being covered and cleansed from our sins by the blood of Jesus. If we say we have no sin, either in heart, desire, or action, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not ruling in us. If we confess our sins, our bent hearts, desires, and actions, if we admit to ourselves, to God, and to our family in Christ, He is faithful and just to cleanse us, to not only save us, but to lovingly wash away all that belongs to the darkness that we have let rule in our lives. But if we say we have not sinned, that we have not been ruled by or deceived by darkness, we call God a liar, and we are blinded by darkness. Now, all of us at some point need this word because we deny our need. We try to complete in the flesh what was begun by the Spirit, and we lack the courage necessary to walk in the light. And so the invitation is to light and life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to see you and the light you shine for who you are and what your glory is, beautiful, lovely, and where true life is found. Would you make wholeness, integrity beautiful to us? Give us a love for yourself and for walking in the light. Give us courage to do so and grant us faith. Amen. This is week week three of our series, Awake and Alive. Today is about the courage to walk in the light. Last week, we talked about staying awake to the lifelong invitation of deeper fellowship with God through the Son, being awake to the gospel. We looked at Galatians 1, Romans 5, Ephesians 1, which remind us that we were brought into the family of God because God looked on us before the foundation of the world. And in love, He chose us to be His knowing we would have sin in us and commit sin against him, ourselves, and others. The Father sent the Son to die for us and sent the Spirit to carry out this new work in us. And he made himself known to us by revealing himself as the light of the world. Now, key to this is that you and I didn't deserve it when we were loved and provided and sealed. And the truth is, we still don't deserve it. We don't. Outside of Christ's death and resurrection, we do not deserve God's love, but you are worthy because he says you're worthy. And he covers and he keeps you in Christ. But if we forget where we came from, we lose sight of where we are now. We start to think we have to perform, prove, or earn what was given so that God still loves us. And I'll tell you, friends, that's a litmus test based on our experience in a fallen world, not on the character of God. And remembering where we were when we started, we need to look at what God has done in Christ. So let's look at Hebrews. It's Hebrews 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now stick with me here because if you 
confuse the perfecting, the justifying, with the sanctifying. You will live with anxiety. You will think that your salvation is at stake at every turn, that at any moment you could be picked up out of grace and put under wrath. This causes us to call God a liar when we fall. We wait for grace to run out. We figure God's going to want a refund on us at some point. But if we embrace that the perfecting, the justifying, is different than the sanctifying, then you and I can make sense of daily life. So tell me this. Have you ever woken up? The house is quiet. You spend time in the Word and prayer, and you feel refreshed for like 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, a kid has slept in. The dishes aren't clean. You get to work. There's traffic. And then somebody's late for a meeting. Like the day was going great, except people. (laughs) You ever berate yourself for failing to be perfect? Perfectionist? Like you ever tell yourself you're terrible for not living up to a standard you created that God didn't give you? You ever keep your distance from God until you've done enough or felt sorry enough long enough to make up for that bad thing you did? Like, that's Protestant penance. That's not the gospel. See, God is not surprised at our consistent inconsistency. But for some reason, we are. God views all those he's loved and chosen by seeing them in and through Christ. And this doesn't diminish or delete our personhood. It places us in Christ's perfection, and we have God's settled affection towards us in love. It justifies us and declares us worthy of his love once and for all. Now, I think just about every mom and dad in here would say they love their kids. Like, you love your kids, right? I hope so. And we know that maturity is hopefully going to come, just like it hopefully came for us. I don't know what's happening. I'm just going to keep going. And we know that they're going to make bad decisions at some point. But there are kids, and we love them deep in our guts. We know what it is to be grieved when they love wrongly and act foolishly. And the truth is, it just gets harder and hurts more the older they get. The job of a Christian parent isn't to break the child's will until they conform or shame them into obedience. It's to paint a picture of a beautiful life with God and invite them into it. And if you and I can do that, where we are shadows and God is substance, then what does that tell us about the Father? He is our good Father who through our older brother and high priest Jesus has settled his affection toward us as perfection in Jesus. And with that perfection, his spirit is working ongoing sanctification as we walk in the light. But let's be clear. God is light. We're not. Christ is the light and the life of men. You or I are not called to become light like God is light. We are creatures called to walk in the light both for our good and to reflect God's light to the world. That takes courage because we have darkness within us. And Christ wants to shine until no shadows remain. We remember what we were when this started and hold fast to where we are now. 
If you are in Christ, you are unswervingly loved and kept in an ongoing process of change as we walk in the light. As we try to walk in the light, the world, our flesh, and the devil try to put us to sleep to the beauty of God. So we've talked about three types of attacks. The anesthesia of deceit, which attacks the character and promises of God. Rootlessness, which prevents a growing knowledge of God or life within community. And then being choked out by the cares of this world, namely uncertainty and anxiety. So let's talk about the anesthesia of deceit. You and I are entertained by darkness. And we grow numb. We are entertained by darkness and we grow numb. We treat darkness and the deeds of darkness like something we build up a tolerance towards. Like it's okay to watch this, hear that, do this, act however I want because I'm in Jesus. I know it's not life. So I can do a little bit. It won't hit me the same way it used to. So I've got freedom, right? If it feels good, makes us laugh, takes the edge off or gives a thrill, a little bit can't hurt. If we practice what others do in the dark, is the light ruling in us? Can we baptize the deeds of darkness and call it Christian freedom? Now, if you think I'm talking about indwelling sin, like the corruption inside of you that God is working out through sanctification, I'm not. Marianne Thompson describes darkness like this. She says, darkness is not simply equivalent to sin or wrongdoing. It is the realm that opposes and is hostile to God. This realm is characterized by disobedience and lack of relationship to God. Thus, John exhorts Christians and all people not to walk in darkness. But notice that he never says, let there be no darkness in you. As if he were saying, true Christians are without a trace of sin. Darkness is not a synonym for indwelling sin. Darkness and light are not realities that are within each of us. Rather, they are realities greater than and external to us. Darkness and light are two opposing forces, each making their competing claims upon us. We are challenged to decide in which circle we will choose to live and then endeavor to live within it. This is to live by the truth. When we are entertained by, find pleasure in, or seek out darkness, we numb love for the light. And too many of us search for shadows in the Christian life to hide. And if you think I'm coming for your TV with this one, I'm not. I'm coming for your conscience. What do you tolerate that makes you numb to the beauty of God? Like, where are you taking little bites or giving little pieces of yourself to the darkness thinking you can stop whenever you want? Where do you find yourself avoiding the things of God? Like, it doesn't have to be a stage 10 sin. If, if Satan can get you apathetic or lazy, he wins. It's all it takes. If he can numb you to the beauty of Jesus, just a little bit at a time. Soon you're asleep. So I just ask you, what do you laugh at? 
What do you drift towards? What do you reward yourself with? Because either you recognize the threat and you take action, or take action, or you sit back and you just take deep breaths, saying, it's okay, I'll just lay here for a little while, I'll get up in a minute. And then your heart falls asleep. So we are entertained by darkness, and then we pick and choose our doctrine. One of the verses I first remember memorizing as a child was at summer camp. It was Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, we, we probably know late 80s, it was, uh, it was probably Amy Grant, yeah. Michael W. Smith, so I'm not going to sing it for you, but it's just the day and age. So God's word is a light to our path because it tells us his good design for our lives. I want to show you Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And this is what the word says, that light and life are found with God. But when our experiences and desires get placed over God's word, we start to pick and choose what seems right to us, making our own belief primary and calling God a liar while listening to the darkness. So if you want to see what it looks like to pick and choose your doctrine, I'm going to show you some data from the State of Theology Survey in 2022, where 3,011 Americans and 879 American evangelicals, which is us, responded to statements, positively or negatively. Now, just for the sake of getting this clear, left is negative, like disagree. Positive is agree, okay? Americans on top, American evangelicals on the bottom. The midpoint is center of zero. So here are a handful of responses from 30-plus statements. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Evangelicals strongly agree, 17%. Somewhat agree, 21%. Not sure, 8%. Somewhat disagree, 15%. Strongly disagree, 39%. The writers of the survey respond that faith claims declare there is an objective truth about reality. And the writers say this, that Christianity is based on historical events such as the resurrection of Jesus that must be objectively true in order for Christian belief to be valid. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead proclaims he is the only God who can save us. If this is not objectively and universally true, then there is no Christian faith. As individuals, we exercise personal faith, but to believe in something that is mere opinion and not objective truth is to believe in something that cannot provide salvation. So next question, or next statement. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Evangelicals strongly agree, 22%. Somewhat agree, 33%. Not sure, 5%. Somewhat disagree, 15%. Strongly disagree, 
25%. The Bible tells us that since the fall of Adam and Eve, human beings, except Jesus Christ, have been born into sin. According to God's perfect standard, none is righteous, no, not one. And apart from God's grace, the intentions of our hearts are evil from our youth. And our thoughts are evil continually because we do not seek the glory of God. Can we keep going? All right, next question or statement. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. American evangelicals strongly agree 61%. Somewhat agree, 4%. Not sure, 3%. Somewhat disagree, 4%. Strongly disagree, 28%. The Bible says Adam and Eve were originally created innocent, but because of Adam's sin in the garden, humanity has been plummeted into a state of corruption. All of Adam's descendants, except Jesus Christ, have inherited this condition of sinfulness and are born with a sin nature. 61% say... No. Next one. God chose the people he would save before he created the world. We read this in Ephesians 1. Strongly agree, 23%. Somewhat agree, 15%. Not sure, 17%. Somewhat disagree, 11%. Strongly disagree, 34%. Now, looking at this and the nature of these questions, you have a hard time convincing me that individualism doesn't play into how we look at our doctrine. That I think I am in control of my life and I should have a say because I'm sovereign. It is a rejection of being a creature. It is making ourselves the creator when we say, no, he doesn't get to choose. I choose. Bible says, before the foundation of the world, God predestined every Christian unto salvation according to his good pleasure. Salvation is of the Lord. So last question for today. Our last statement. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Strongly agree, 29%. Somewhat agree, 11. Not sure, 7. Somewhat disagree, 12. Strongly disagree, 41%. The Bible says, If we fail to keep even one of God's commandments, we are guilty of breaking the entire law and are under the divine curse from which only Jesus can save us. Now, when we pick and choose what we believe from God's reality, we choose a reality of our own making. So either God's word is a lamp to our feet or we say we have no sin and we call God a liar. So we let darkness entertain us. We pick and choose our doctrine. That's the anesthesia of deceit. Now the rootlessness. Because in line with picking and choosing our doctrine, we pick and choose ourselves. We walk in our own light, which is darkness. And it's called expressive individualism. Valuing authenticity above all else. Everyone is entitled to a self-centered life. Like the highest goal is to find our truest selves, not by trusting what our maker says, but by trusting how we feel and our emotions. This comes in sayings like, live your truth. You be you. Let your feelings be your guide. Do what makes you happiest. Now, however, these selves that we make in following this, these selves, 
are merely another way to rebel against living in God's good design. Because whenever, whatever makes me happiest defines my reality, I sever, I sever all ties to the story of Scripture, yes. to the history of God's people and to walking in the light. Because why do I need to know God? I'm most interested in myself. In this way of performing, I deceive myself and others, and the light is not in me. And if you're not performing, gosh, a lot of us are hiding. If we forget where we are in Christ, justified and being sanctified, we're not yet free from the presence of sin, but indwelt by the Spirit of God. If we listen to the accusations of shame and guilt when we sin, we will pull back from fellowship with others. Do you see this in your own life? That shame isolates you and you withdraw from the people of God? Because we believe the lie that if you knew the real me, you'd create some distance. You'd back up a little. You might act like you, like, you, might act like you don't care what people think about you, but we all take notice. We all pay attention. We experience shame for sins we committed, for sins done to us, and who we, be we believe we are at our core. Unlovable, dirty, unforgivable, a mess, an accident. If you knew how dark things are, you'd leave. There would be no love. This kind of vulnerability to rejection is a type of death to us. And so we avoid it. We hide. And shame is a weapon in the hands of Satan. It's an accusation against the work of Christ. And if we listen to it, if we let it eat away at our assurance, then we isolate ourselves from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We might not disappear, but you even unknowingly might begin to shut off and shut down parts of yourself that Christ wants to see transformed. So that's rootlessness. Let's talk about being choked out by the cares of the world, specifically anxiety and uncertainty. The first one is that we prize applause over character. That we prize applause over character. Now, you and I, in this expressive, individualist, Western state, we try to find what makes us stand out from the crowd. We're a society that loves perfecting our image, and we chase things we think give us value. And you, if you think this stuff doesn't happen inside of the church, like, you should just hang around more. Like, just, just come and be with us. Because if we serve in enough ministries, if we take enough classes, if we know the right people and say the right things, if we share enough to be candid but not enough to be really known, then maybe we will make up for our insecurities, our hidden sins, our failing marriages, and our freedoms that quickly turn into license. Man, we're so good at deceiving ourselves. How you doing? I'm great. How's life? Good. Busy. Everything okay? Yeah, fine. How are you? So what we do. We play this game. Satan is so good at making us think that half-hearted holiness is enough. And with that, we're playing church and the truth of Christ is not in us. And I'll tell you, the only status for us, the only status that matters for us in the kingdom is being called beloved. Amen. 
by God. So we prize applause over character, and we share 90% and quietly suffer the last 10 alone. We've said for years here that being mostly known is not to be known. And if you're not chasing status, but you're just holding on, it's the 10% that you hold back that you're afraid people won't understand. It's the anger issues. It's the wayward kids. It's the sexuality questions or deviancy. It's money trouble. It's marriage separation. It's mental health. And it's sins that you hide because you want to save face. But the cost of saving face is losing fellowship. Because what is hidden in darkness cannot be healed by the light. And Christ invites us to light and life in the darkener whispers. It alone can keep us safe. So I just want to ask you, like, how long can you keep that 10%? How long can you hold it in and stay awake? How long can you hold on? Those are the attacks of darkness on our courage to walk in the light. And I've been praying that God would make integrity beautiful to us, that we would love the feeling of wholeness, of having nothing to hide, of living in the light and being known and loved, that we would walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, it's gotten increasingly increasingly difficult for me to explain summer in Texas to people that don't live here or that aren't from here. Uh, Hot is getting redefined every year. Amen? Um, If you are blessed enough to work in an office or a windowless office space, like I am here, um, in the middle of the summer, do you ever notice how it's not like hot? It's freezing. It's like 64 degrees. Like I come to work in short sleeves and put on a fleece jacket in late July. That might not be your office, but you're, you go to the movie theater in the summer, right? It's pitch black. It's cold. You might take a layer, but it's 65 degrees inside and you come out, it's 132. <laughs> Bright as day, right? And there's this moment Right when you come out of the cold and into the sunlight where the light hits your body. You know this moment? The warmth of the sun hits your body and you just kind of uncoil. You feel your body respond and just soak in that vitamin D. That's a good moment. Feels good right now. Like it's a good moment. If you're into plants, you might know that sunflowers follow the sun throughout the day. Did you know that? They turn to follow the sun for light and life. What a lovely thought. Turning towards Christ throughout each day to be warmed with light and life. Loved, kept, free from shame and shadow, awake and alive. So, what are some ways we can walk in the light? The first is that we pursue fellowship with one another. Like we pursue fellowship with one another. We need relationships with each other in the family of God. Individualism 
Like, I'm going to do it my own. I can be everything in myself. I don't need help is not the way of God. We are created to be dependent on each other in the family. You don't have every gift. I don't have every gift. I need yours. We cannot go it alone. And so you need to pursue fellowship and build friendships that matter. And you share your life with others and treat them like families should be treated. And we all need relationships we can count on, and they take work because people, right? Like friendships take work. Fellowship takes work. So we should listen to, encourage, and make time for each other and do it as Christians. It should be normal. should not be weird to share the 90% and to feel safe enough to share the 10. Life is too hard to go it alone. And God has given us each other as a means of grace. We are here to put courage, literally to put courage into each other's hearts as we walk in the light. Here's Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have a vested interest in each other, persevering in hope because we're family. We need each other. A necessary part of building fellowship and walking in the light is the second thing you can do. Confess your sins to God and one another. Now, confession is something Christians know we need to do. Yeah, nobody wants to interrupt dessert with their dirty laundry. Like you're, you're like, hey, I need to talk to you about a crippling sin issue in my life. Do you want to do that after the appetizer comes? Or like, what, what, how does that work here? You know what a lot of us do, actually, is that we will walk in community with people, but we will confess outside of that community. You will find places to offload your guilt and confess in places that can't really hold you accountable in the rest of life. It's not integrity. You're assuaging your conscience instead of being walking in people who know you and can help you grow. It's these spaces where we are unsure how we'll be received. Because some people, honestly, you just try to fix everybody. Instead of listening, instead of receiving someone who's trying to confess sin, you try to fix their sin instead of offering what you've been given, which is comfort in Christ. And gosh, guys, it's just hard to have your friends know your failures, right? Like it just makes you seem human. John tells us in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Perfected, justified, continually sanctified, continually washed, cared for by the Father. James 5 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. 
So we're like, well, that's great. So what do I do? The next meal, I just go, hey, we'll get through it. Then I'll wait and see if there's a good time for me to jump in and say, can we hold each other accountable? Can I confess my sin to you? I meet once a week with a few guys who are close friends. Like they know me. They're in my life. Our, our kids are all around the same age. We do life together often. Probably share three meals a week or a month together on the weekend. And these days we meet on Monday mornings and it's pretty simple. We confess what's not working for us in daily life. We, can, we talk about where we've sinned and where we need help. And we've committed to sharing and praying for one another right then. Like in that moment because we're two or more gathered. And so we pray. We encourage, interact with, and counsel one another. We walk in the light with each other. And then we go to work. Like that's it. 45 minutes. Each of us needs someone else to see the things we don't want anyone to know. And we need them to receive us like Christ does. Acknowledging the weight and consequence of our actions while also letting us realize we are known, kept, and loved. The reality is not just anybody can be this person for you. Like you need to find relationships of trust and then confess your sins and receive others and give them what Christ has given to you. If you don't have these people yet, a home group, a practice group, a Bible study group are all great places to start. Now, if you want to repent, if you want to walk in the light and be known, you can today. Now, if you want life in Christ, you can be free from shame today. Now, if you want to get baptized, proclaim Christ is your Lord. If you want God's affection settled toward you in love once and for always to be justified and called his child, you can today. Now. When we're done in just a moment, there's going to be men and women across the back who would love to talk with you, help you get baptized, receive you, and offer you comfort in Christ. So near the very end of the great divorce, one of the tourists is offered a chance at life. It goes like this. The ghost made a sound, something between a sob and a snarl. I wish I'd never been born, it said. What are we born for? For infinite happiness, said the spirit. You can step out into it at any moment. It just takes courage. Let's pray. Father, we want, we want to walk in the light. Would you help us to love you and to love walking in your ways? May we know that it is clean, enduring, reviving the soul, healing, that it brings warmth to us in a way that shadows never can. For those trapped in shame, would you free them? Would you make them desperate enough to risk only to find that you are good and you do not leave us? God, would you do your work? Holy Spirit, would you save? Would you renew? Would you cleanse us from sin and help us to trust that you are as good as you say? We praise you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.